Welcome to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. Today is Tuesday, the 12th of May, 2020. Thanks a lot for hanging out with me. You can find all the previous episodes of this show at abriefchat.com, where you can also become a member. My sincere thanks to the folks who already are members. I wanted to talk to you today about a book I just read. I got it from PM Press. PM Press puts out lots of great anarchist and lefty and other literature, both fiction and nonfiction. And I am a friend of PM Press where you spend 30 bucks each month and they send you books in the mail every month, basically everything they put out. So I got this book from them that actually is from several years ago. It's called Wobblies and Zapatistas, Conversations on Anarchism, Marxism, and Radical History. It's essentially a series of conversations I imagine that were conducted by email, but I'm not sure, between and I apologize, Andre, if I screw your name up, but I think it's Andre Grubacic, who is a few years younger than I am, and Stoughton Lind, who is, uh, as of right now, 90 and has been around for a long time in lefty circles. So honestly, I had never heard of either of these people. And I, as I read the uh, biography of Stoughton Lind that is kind of contained in these pages, it seems like I probably should have, but I hadn't uh, heard of either of them. I thought the book was great, and I highly recommend reading it. And I want to say that because I probably will say some things as I talk about it that kind of push back against some of its theses. But on the whole, it was an absolute page turner. And there was so much to think about. It's got a really rich bibliography at the back, which links to lots of other great things to read. And you certainly can never turn your nose up at the life experience of a person who's been in this movement, you know, since World War II, or if not before. I really appreciated, as this book went along, how many different kinds of leftist involvement Staunton Lind and his wife have had over the course of their lives. From uh, him starting out as a conscientious objector in World War II, who became a non-combatant uh, medical core member in the army during World War II because he thought he should put himself at the same level of risk faced by others of his generation, but he didn't want to kill anybody. He uh, then went on to get a degree in history. Howard Zinn invited him to teach at Spelman College, which I believe is a historically black university in Atlanta. And he did that, and then he was involved with the labor movement, with the anti-war movement during the Vietnam War. He decided that it was less useful for him to be a historian than to be a lawyer, and so he became a lawyer, and for at least 30 years or so was in practice uh, defending workers and prisoners and other kinds of folks. He uh, worked with a group of people to help improve conditions at a supermax prison and uh, worked to represent many of the prisoners who were in that prison. All of that, I think, is extremely laudable. And the places where I pushed back most against this book in my own head were the places where it conflicted with another thing I recently read, which was called The Failure of Nonviolence, a book by Peter Gilderloose, who I have tried to get on this show. Uh, he's a little hard to track down. I tried a few different ways, but haven't heard back from him yet. Who knows? Maybe I'll get him at some point. I've talked about th on this show before. In fact, there's a couple episodes called Violence. Uh, in the earlier days of a brief chat. And I've talked about my own struggles with figuring out where I come down on the spectrum of violence versus nonviolence. And 
one of the things that the Gilderloose book did was to point out how useless the term violence is because it is so ill-defined. I mean, I have worked with ministers on organizing campaigns who thought it was violent to say negative things about the employer, for example. And if your definition of violence includes that, everything is violence. The, the whole the campaign itself is violence. And then, of course, you know, people use the word violence to mean often to mean any tactic with which they disagree. But it can be everything from uh, picketing to nonviolent or to, I should say, civil disobedience that disrupts, you know, commerce and other things to property damage, to political assassinations, to things like, uh, you know, bombing public spaces. I mean, it's a very broad range. And so when we use the term violence and we dismiss everything under that umbrella term, we're dismissing all kinds of tactics, a real diversity of tactics, some of which we may find morally objectionable, but many of which we may not. And if we kind of divide ourselves into this nonviolent versus violent thing, I think we end up losing and we end up losing the ability to make a lot of change that we might otherwise be able to make. This is not to say that any one person might or might not decide to be nonviolent, to be a pacifist, for example. But the imposition of that viewpoint on all people seeking social change it seems like it's the wrong thing to do. One of the things, and again, I really enjoyed this book, and I, I highly recommend that you read it, but one of the things that Stoughton Lynn keeps coming back to is the idea of the victories of nonviolent protest throughout history. And as everyone does, he points to King and to Gandhi. And to consider those campaigns nonviolent is to stretch the boundaries of the term nonviolence to its absolute breaking point. There was terrifying terrifying violence involved in those campaigns that was deliberately provoked by the campaigners to use it as a way to shock the world into coming to their aid and also the victories that those folks realized i mean he also cites nelson mandela in here you know who at one point was an armed rebel i mean the victories that those people realized were by and large, the products of a combination of their tactics plus the external factors that brought pressure to bear on those societies, whether it was the slow degradation of the British Empire in the various campaigns it was involved in, or whether it was, uh, you know, the Vietnam War's beginning and pressure on the Johnson administration and so on and so forth, uh, whether it was the threat of uh, urban revolt that was breaking out all across the country and it seemed maybe easier to pass the Voting Rights Act than to deal with armed Black Panthers, for example. The the idea that all of these things can be reduced to nonviolence, good, violence, bad, strikes me as a really dangerous way to go forward. The book is called Wobblies and Zapatistas, and um, I spent a lot of this time saying a thing I really disagreed with, but it is it is a pretty central part of the book. But also central to the book is the idea of accompaniment, which I found incredibly useful, which is the idea that it's kind of like a solidarity model organizing where 
people with particular skills or particular levels of education or white people in many cases who go into other communities, not their own, or into other class structures, not their own, and seek to impose some kind of solution are not being helpful. And in solidarity model organizing, what you do is seek out what the other person or other group might need. And then if you can, you try to provide that. And if you can't, there might not be a role for you there. They might not need you there. One of the ways that Staunton Lynn points to this idea of accompaniment is that he looked at his career in the law as a way for him to provide a professional service that folks needed access to, but that they might not be able to provide for themselves. And he could use his education and training and in many ways, greater position of privilege in society to act as an advocate, not not dismissing their knowledge and dismissing their experience, but in instead being the lens through which it could be focused in a particular arena, like in the court system, for example. And that seems to me like a pretty good way to think. And, you know, he said that that idea of accompaniment, which I think comes from uh, liberation theology, he said that idea can be applied to all kinds of professions, you know, teachers and ministers and doctors and lawyers, all kinds of folks. And I thought that was really exciting, and especially as someone who has often felt called to a religious life, um, and also the idea of teaching really appeals to me, although I don't know if I'll ever do any of either of those things <laughs> at this point in my life. But um, as someone who has felt those callings, that idea of uh, how to walk with other people of whom you are not one, I thought was really powerful. So, you know, I found this book causing me to think a lot and to respond passionately. And I mean, I don't know what higher praise you can give to a book. So it's available from PM Press. You can find them at pmpress.org. And again, it's called Wobblies and Zapatistas. And I highly recommend it to your attention. That's today's show. If you'd like to become a member, you can do that at abriefchat.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can hit me up at Jason at a brief chat. I'm going to be posting the episodes and that kind of thing on social media, but I'm largely taking a break from social media. So if you do want to reach me, in fact, that email address, Jason at a brief is the best way for you to do that. I love you. A better world is possible.